Hey everyone, this is John Mauser. I'm a fishing guide and a rod builder on the Crystal Coast of North Carolina. I'm using this podcast to build a relationship with all of you and to tell some stories along the way that will hopefully entertain, educate, and inspire everyone who's listening. This is the True Tales Podcast Show. have a question for you. How many of you out there have broken a fly rod? It's a sinking feeling, isn't it? Let's face it, fly rods aren't cheap. Even the cheap ones aren't cheap. And buying a high cost, high performance rod doesn't guarantee that it's immune from breakage. And as hard as it is to accept, probably 99% of breaks aren't actually due to manufacturing defects. It's almost always something that we've done to cause it, even if we don't realize it at the moment. Manufacturer's effects usually show up pretty quickly once you start using a rod. Think about it. If you fished your rod for several trips with no issues and put it through the paces and different scenarios, then you've got a good rod. If it breaks after several trips, then there's a good chance that it was caused by something that you inadvertently did while you were using it. By knowing the most common ways to break a fly rod, hopefully you can get the most out of your gear without the risk of turning your favorite four-piece into a five or six-piece. Here are the top 12 surefire ways to break your fly rod. Number one, sticking it where it doesn't belong. These are usually the, oh crap, what did I just do type of breaks. Ceiling fans or rod tip magnets And no matter where you are in a building, you're always within reach of a ceiling fan blade. I've personally been fortunate enough to take on several fans, Don Quixote style, with a fly rod, and somehow I've managed to not break one yet. But most people end up with less fortunate results. Car windows also love to eat rod tips. As a fishing guide, I often cram a pile of rods into my SUV. A fly rod is just like a dog. You hit that window down button and your rod tip will immediately slip out the window for some fresh air. But fair warning, they'll do this super low key and you won't realize it and they don't come back through the window when you start to hit the window up button. Boat rod holders also have a tendency to damage a rod if you shove them in without taking your time. On my skiff, I've got some drain holes coming through the bulkhead right under my rod holders. And apparently to a lot of my anglers, they look just like a rod holder. But if you stick your rod in there, you may as well stick it in a pencil sharpener. It's not coming back out. Sometimes doing these things will break your rod immediately. But often it will cause a small crush in the blank's wall. And that weak point will give later on during a future cast or while fighting a fish. It'll leave you scratching your head wondering why it broke. I've also seen this happen when people throw gear on top of their rods unintentionally. Things like waders and boots, for example. Over the years, I've seen a few fly rods break, surprising anglers because they shouldn't have broke. Nine weights snapping on two-pound bluefish. Me personally, I've had an eight-weight snap while strip striking a small redfish. 
these types of things were probably caused by an unknown stress crack or a fracture in the rod from throwing something on it or accidentally whacking against something earlier on that we didn't realize. But then you pay the price doing something simple like catching a bluefish or a redfish. Today's high-performance fly rods have extremely thin walls. That's why they're so light and so responsive. These designs normally perform flawlessly when used for their intended purposes. That is until you unintentionally introduce a weak spot into them. Number two, high-sticking your rod. This is without a doubt something that most anglers are guilty of. I see it on my boat all the time. You can get away with this on small fish, but a big fish will destroy a high-sticked rod. The more you angle a rod up while fighting a fish, the more the tip and midsection bend downward. When you raise the angle of your rod to 60 degrees or more off the water surface, your rod tip begins to fold over like a candy cane. As your rod tip folds over, the fibers in the top side of the rod begin to stretch more and more while the fibers on the underside of the rod begin to compress more and more. Graphite and resin is made to stretch and compress, but it's not silly putty. At some point, the rod will give under these unnatural stresses. Take a plastic straw, for example. Hold it on each end. Pull down on both ends and bend it in the center. The round straw starts to oval in shape as it bends. Eventually, that straw will fold under the stress of the bend. Same thing with the fly rod. If you have a fish near the boat or shoreline and you are high-sticking your rod, the fish can quickly dive down, folding the rod tip downwards towards the butt section of the rod, usually ending in a busted rod. There really is no advantage to high-sticking while fighting a fish. The tip section of your rod is made for casting, and the butt section is made for fighting fish. You can land a fish much quicker and efficiently by fighting it with the butt section while allowing your rod tip to relax and be protected. Here's a few quick thoughts. Fight a big fish to the side, pulling to the right when it goes left and pulling to the left when it goes right. Angle the rod towards the fish and pull on the butt section, trying to bend the part of the rod right in front of the grip, not the rod tip. When a fish is in close, avoid the urge to bring any part of the rod above your eye level. Keep the butt section parallel to the water and let the rod tip go straight down into the water. Lift the fish with the butt section while keeping the rod below your eye level. Get a buddy to net your fish, and if you're alone, just be very careful about high sticking while trying to land the fish yourself. Number three, clousering your rod. The clouser minnow is a fantastic fly for freshwater and saltwater predator fish. There's not much that won't eat some version of the clouser minnow. One of the things that makes it so effective is the lead dumbbell eyes that give it its action. An angler with a decent cast is generating a lot of line speed when that line and fly go past their rod tip. An errant cast can send that fly into your rod at breakneck speeds. A clouser minnow or any of the streamer or crustacean patterns that feature lead eyes 
which is basically half of the flies in a saltwater English fly box, can spell certain doom for your fly rod if they collide in midair. My skin crawls when I'm standing on the polling platform and I hear the unforgettable sound of a rod being slammed by a speeding fly. Newer anglers don't necessarily pick up on the sound of a clousered rod, leaving them to wonder later on why their rod folded in half for no reason, not realizing that an earlier impact with a speeding fly caused a microfracture and a weak point in their fly rod. Keeping your rod tip on a straight line path and accelerating smoothly through your cast should keep your fly from colliding with your rod tip. P.S. Bob, if you're listening, I love your flies, man, and I've probably caught more fish on them than any other fly. Number four, yanking your leader through the rod tip. We've all been there. You've strung your leader through your guides and tip top of your fly rod, only to have the line and leader connection or some other knot get hung up in the tip top. For the sake of your rod, avoid the urge to yank the leader through. I've seen anglers hold their tip section of their rod and yank their leader out at a 90 degree angle to the rod. I've also seen anglers holding the rod by the grip and yanking the leader straight back out of the rod tip towards the butt section, causing the rod tip to fold over and blow up. The action of yanking a leader through your rod tip causes an overstress and shock of the rod, especially if a knot or loop gets caught in the tip in the process. Take a few extra seconds and pull your leader straight out of the rod tip and remove the risk of ruining your day with a broken rod. Number five, grabbing your rod while fighting a fish. When you're fighting a big fish, the entirety of the rod is absorbing the pressure of that fight. If you reach up and grab the rod blank above the cork, you have now instantly moved the pressure on the rod to the area between your hand and the tip of the rod, eliminating the work being done by the butt section. This shock and sudden transfer of energy to the forward half of the rod can cause it to break, often right there in your hand. Keep your hands on the cork as much as possible when you're fighting a big fish. Number six letting your rod hit the gunnels. Big fish in open water love to make a last chance at escape by diving straight down or running underneath the boat and pulling the rod down with them. This can be a sudden surge and catch the angler off guard. If the fish successfully pulls the fly rod down and makes contact with the gunnel or deck of the boat, the rod is as good as gone. This is similar to reaching up and grabbing the rod but way worse. Unlike your hand, the fiberglass of a boat is not forgiving at all, creating a pressure point that the rod has to flex around. Usually rod breakage occurs immediately when a fish dives your rod into the boat. The best way to protect against this is to be ready and expecting it before it ever happens. If it seems like a fish is thinking about running under the boat, work your rod around to the other side of the boat before the fish makes that attempt. And if you get caught off guard and your rod makes a quick dive for the boat, start stripping the fly line off your reel as fast as you can to take the pressure and bend out of your fly rod while simultaneously working the rod around to the other side of the boat. Then let the drag take over again. Number seven, loose ferrules. There's a reason one piece fly rods are so great for big fish. No ferrules, 
although four-piece rods are great for traveling, those ferrules are the most stressed part of a bent rod. The ferrule is the stiffest part of the rod blank and receives the most amount of stress since it doesn't bend as easily as the rest of the blank. Loose ferrule connections are generally the culprit of rods that break at or near the ferrule. If the male section is loose inside the female section, that wiggle room when you're casting or fighting a fish will cause a lot of stress at that location. Often the male ferrule will just snap off, and sometimes a female ferrule splits. This doesn't just happen when fighting a big fish. It can also happen while casting. Check your ferrules often and retighten them. Try a little ferrule wax to help keep them together longer. And if you feel a wiggle while you're casting, stop immediately and check your ferrules. Number eight, hiking through the woods, rod tip first. This one's pretty obvious. Rod tips are delicate, precise rolls of graphite. They don't like getting shoved into immovable objects like tree trunks, boulders, or the ground. When you're moving through the brush and trees, hold your rod by the grip and carry it backwards. And while you're at it, wrap the leader around your rod once or twice and secure it over a stripping guide to keep the loose line or leader from catching a branch. Number nine, snags. I'm thinking about two types of snags here. Snags on backcasts and underwater snags. Just like when you're fighting a fish, your rod is loaded and under pressure when making a false cast. If you accidentally snag something on your backcast, a tree, a polling platform, the Spartana grass, your fishing partner, and that fully loaded rod comes to an immediate and complete stop, the shock will often cause a rod to snap. Underwater snags are also something to blame for a lot of broken rods. We all get snagged on stuff, oyster bars, a rock, downed logs. If you're anything like me, you might get a little impatient trying to pop your fly loose from a snag. Getting too aggressive with your fly rod, yanking on a stuck fly, can cause a shock and damage to a fly rod. Try pointing the fly rod straight at a snag and pulling your line tight and then letting it pop loose like shooting a rubber band. If that doesn't work, try pointing the rod straight at the fly and strip it slowly until the fly pulls loose or breaks off. If you're close to the snag, you could always strip your fly line tight and slide your rod tip down towards the fly and see if you can push it loose with your rod tip. This technique can work, but you're definitely risking your rod tip when doing it, so please proceed with caution. Fair warning, nothing is foolproof, so please don't come after me if you break your fly rod trying any of these techniques. There's no fly that's worth breaking your rod over. When it comes to dealing with snags, my personal issue is that I fish a lot of spinning rods also. You can get away with so much more stuff with a 7-foot spinning rod than you can with a 9-foot rod. I have to constantly tell myself, John, this isn't a spinning rod. Take it easy. Number 10, picking up a fly rod by the tip section. I did this one time, and I'll never do it again. An angler on the bow of my boat sat a six-weight down on the floor with the rod tip facing towards me. I was behind the console, and I reached down and grabbed that six-weight by the rod tip instead of taking the time to walk to the bow of the boat and grab it by the butt section. 
It had a pretty heavy-duty reel attached to it, and the pressure I caused in the rod tip by trying to deadlift the weight of the rest of the rod and the reel caused it to immediately snap in half in my hands, right there in front of my clients. Pretty embarrassing. Don't do dumb stuff like me. Number 11, poor line management. Line management is important in fly fishing for a number of reasons. Protecting your rod from damage isn't the first reason that comes to mind for good line management, but it's a legit reason to do so. Whether it's getting a line wrapped around your real foot while fighting a hot fish, or having someone step in your loops and fall on your rod, poor line management can lead to broken gear. It's far from the most common reason for rod breakage, but it can happen. Earlier this spring, I had an angler's unattended sinking line get wrapped up in my trolling motor. Luckily, the trolling motor locked up before it got the chance to suck the rod overboard. The worst one I've ever heard about was a buddy of mine who had his leader on his rod get sucked up into the prop of his big outboard motor, and it quickly spooled the line and sucked the entire rod into the prop, starting with the tip all the way to the butt section. He started his trip with a four-piece fly rod and ended it with a 10-piece fly rod. Try explaining that one to the warranty department. And number 12 of the 12 ways to break your fly rod, bringing a knife to a gunfight. If you're going to break your fly rod, do it proper. Do it by biting off more than your rod can chew and hooking into a giant fish. One that is way too big for the rod you chose to cast at it. With today's rod technology and educational and proper fish fighting techniques, we can land much bigger fish on smaller rods than we ever thought was possible 20 or 30 years ago. That does not mean that you should target fish that your gear can't handle. It's not fair to the fish to overtax them with your equipment if you can't handle and land him quickly. But sometimes accidents happen. Sometimes you can't control who eats your fly. And now it's your job to either break that fish off or push your gear to the limit and land that fish quickly and safely. If you're fighting that fish properly, most all of the bend and stress in your rod will be in the butt section. And if your rod breaks properly by being overtaxed, it will break just forward of the grip where you should be applying all that pressure. If you do that, congratulations, you broke it fair and square. Well, that's it for today's episode. Just really want to thank everyone who's been listening and giving me feedback so far. I'm really enjoying this process and I'm learning a lot along the way. And I really sincerely appreciate your support. If you really enjoyed today's episode and found it helpful, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your podcast platform and sharing it with your friends also. All right, have a good one and we will see you next time. 